So for example, instead of a spill management team, we've got our cyber event management team. The challenge with traditional Open90 providers is really, there has been that in the event of a cyber incident, they're not that much better positioned than a traditional shipping company's IT team or their information security team would be in reacting to a cyber incident. And as such, they'd be faced effectively with the same challenges of quickly finding, let alone engaging available and appropriate cyber resources at a time of what I would call acute need. You know, to this point, right, you don't want to be Googling cyber incident response when you're trying to respond to a cyber incident. And those delays will eventually cost the ship owner money. Welcome to the Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcast. In each episode, we'll look at real-time case studies, current events, and speak to the experts dealing with critical risks at sea. What really happens when a crisis strikes at sea? And what can you do to protect your ship? Welcome to the Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcast. We have pleasure once again speaking to Max Bobbies of Hudson Analytics. Good morning, Max. Morning, Tom. So, Max, I guess a lot has changed since we, we last talked last year regarding Hudson Analytics and provisioning of cybersecurity services to the marine industry. Do you want to sort of give us a brief update as to where you are currently? Sure. Thank you, Tom. And thank you again to yourself and the team at Shoreline for giving me the opportunity this morning to reconnect with you on, on the podcast. And so to answer your question, so a lot's happened this year. We've expanded our services beyond what I would call our normal assessment, advisory, and training support to now include incident response planning, incident response training and exercises. We're also doing tailored boardroom cybersecurity training and advisory, which includes things like cybersecurity cultural capability assessments, cybersecurity steering committee design and development, and all these really inform the the, uh, additional capabilities that we're delivering through a program management office like cybersecurity support capability. And as part of that, we're also including loss scenario development workshops to support risk acceptance, mitigation, and transfer decisions. And, uh, and even more, this year, we're, we're, we're hoping to gain more traction in partnering with organizations like the Maritime Transportation Sector, ISAC, and, and even regional shipping associations in delivering cybersecurity seminars and more hands-on workshops in, in the market. So it's going to be a busy year for us. Well, it certainly sounds like it's going to be a busy year. And Lots of t- technical jargon contained in that response. You know, from, <laughs> from a simple from a simple sailor's perspective, I guess it's fair to say that you've you've had to pivot your offering around the ever evolving needs of the ship owner with respect to their cybersecurity defence requirements. Mm-hmm. I mean, would that be a truism? I, I, I think. I, I, the reason why I say that is because we positioned ourselves here in the sort of risk transfer space, but it's become apparent to us, I think, over the last few years that ship owners have been certainly focused on on the risk mitigation uh, piece of the equation around that that sort of provisioning of cybersecurity service. And I guess, as I say, you must be pivoting your, your offering around their ever-evolving needs. Would that be right? Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's interesting in terms of how we support ship owners in, in their cybersecurity defenses. And, and last year, I answered a similar question, I believe you asked me re- regarding 
how do we provide enterprise risk or cyber risk management advisory and bespoke training and threat intelligence services? To be, I mean, to be clear, I mean, some of those capabilities have been more readily adopted than others. For example, on the threat intel side, that is typically what I would call a large balance sheet type conversation. So that's had less take up than I would say on the training side. And, and, and then we find ourselves in this middle ground working with executives team, executive teams. And so, so this year building on our, we're actually building on that to deliver more boardroom advisory type capabilities. We're helping them or helping them deliver cyber informed business transformation strategies and tactics, helping their organizations really navigate a transition to a more cyber resilient, more cyber informed type organization. So that tends to bleed over into areas like business continuity, preparation planning, and then ultimately cybersecurity incident response. And, and, and it's, it's this last service that we're being delivered or we're delivering under our recently launched cyber IQ offering. But uh, it's this last service offering our cyber IQ service that, that is actually most exciting to me. And while our parent company, Hudson Analytics, provides Open90 services, which I believe many of your listeners are, are intimately familiar with, we are the only Open90 provider offering full-service pre-breach and post-breach cybersecurity incident response and support for commercial vessel operators or vessels calling on, on the U.S. on U.S. ports. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly that's an area I'd like to explore in a, in a, little, a little more detail with you in a moment or two. But I mean, before we move on to that, really, I, I'm, I'm keen to, to hear from you, really talk about the changes you've seen in the last sort of 12 months from the ship owner risk, risk management perspective. I mean, have you seen what's driving risk management within this sector? Because for a long time, there seemed to be a resistance to us, resistance to, you know, recognize this ever, ever evolving risk. But are you seeing this sort of getting higher and higher on the, the, the priority list of the, the ship owner risk managers? Are you getting a lot more inquiries from ship owning companies regarding how they can better protect their, their vessels and their companies from this evolving risk? Yeah. And it, the, the short answer is yes. And then the but is always the, the specifics behind your, your question. And so I, I would start at more broadly in, in terms of answering your question by saying, you know, the ship owner, the ship own ship owners themselves tend to have very high risk acceptance appetites, if that makes sense. And and so in the early years, when when you know when we were looking at at these types of services, there was a lot of education going on, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But there was a lot of initial sort of skepticism that was was looked at regarding cyber risk. I mean, I look at I look at physical risk, right? So when we look at the things like the ISPS code, it's tangible, right? A physical security threat is physical. It, it, it engages the senses. You can see a threat, you can hear it, you can maybe sense it on, on things like radar, radar displays. You can, there's a tangible, there's, there's tangible the around a physical threat. With cyber, it challenges those sense, it, senses. It challenges one's notion of space, time, context, attribution. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know how it may have occurred, you don't know what the potential impacts are. So there's a lot of unknowns. And in early on, there was a lot of skepticism as a result of that. 
in, in the ship owner community. And again, this is a community that understands risks. They've, they've managed it and mitigated it for centuries. And so it's a, it, the, the risk appetite is very high. And so the initial thinking around cyber risk, cyber risk management was a little bit slow. It was a bit of a slow burn at first, but I think more and more as we've gotten into this, we're seeing more inquiries around training. I would say training continues to be a key need within the ship owner community. Certainly, you know, with the implementation of cyber requirements into the I, into S, into the SMS as mandated by the IMO, you have those regulatory requirements. But really, about you know, understanding and getting your people to be aware of how to think about cyber risk, how to act on those potential risks in their in in on on board the vessels. And then to take action on it when certain things do occur, that training and awareness continues to be probably where we're seeing our strongest, where, where we've seen the most consistent uptake in terms of services within the market. Yeah, okay, I can I can see that, and I guess I guess the other thing that you've touched upon there briefly is regulatory regulatory pressure. I mean, there has been, as you alluded to, there's some some guideline issues issued by the IMO around better cybersecurity for ship owners organizations and ships and you know we well know that the us this, this has been high on the you know high on the on, on on the radar for the the homeland security and the us coast guard within the us in terms of the cyber security of their port infrastructure and uh, you know there are new reporting requirements that have come in with respect to notifying the coast guard prior to arrival if you're aware of any incidents before you enter a us port area I mean, I'm, obviously, that's driven by the need to to protect the port infrastructure. And I understand some ports in the U.S. now have got cyber control centers and that kind of thing. I'm thinking particularly of L.A. port and Long Beach. Yeah. And so I guess this is sort of, you know, looking, you know, as you do from an innovative perspective, I guess this is what's driving the Cyber IQ initiative, which is, as you said previously, aligned similarly to the sort of, response that we see in oil pollution so again here we're looking at you know some sort of you know qualified individualized well i, I, I won't steal you thunder why, why do you walk <laughs> us through why don't you walk us through what this new service looked like and, and and how it sort of compares and contrasts with existing provision for the prevention of oil pollution pollution in u.s waters sure no thank you and uh... So, so first, I'll just I'll call out what CyberIQ is. So CyberIQ is effectively our cybersecurity incident response and coordination service that we're offering to foreign flag vessels calling on U.S. ports. That, that's, that's it in a nutshell. So a little bit of the history behind that, I think, is probably worth delving into to add context to this conversation as we go forward. And for that, I have to go back to 2015, and, and which was the same year we, we launched our, our practice Hudson Cyber. And later that year, I was I was doing some collaboration with Joe Walsh of Clyde & Co. And we explored the possibility of a cyber open 90-like service. And again, these were early days. It was not even really talked about in the market. And it would be an understatement for me to claim that this wasn't met with some raised eyebrows by, by many ship owners at the time. And uh, certainly, you know, regarding their posture around the regulatory regime, there is a lot of skepticism around that, and, and, and perhaps justly so at the time. But since then, a lot's happened, and a lot is happening. The IMO, as I mentioned, or as, as, as we, we talked about, now mandates incorporating cyber risk management into safety management systems. 
but closer to my home, the U.S. Coast Guard has been busy, what I would call organizing. And, and what do I mean by that? First, what I'm, what I'm really talking about regarding organizing is that they've incorporated cybersecurity into their internal training regime. For example, they now include cybersecurity training for port state control officers, and, and that training has, has become a critical part of the vessel inspection process. They're, they're, they're also, these P, PSCOs are also observing behaviors and looking for evidence, and they're digging for anecdotes when, in their conversations with crew members when they board the vessel and so on. So, so as the U.S. Coast Guard is staffing at the sector level, I should, here, let me back up for one sec. The U.S. Coast Guard is also staffing at the sector level, a relatively new role, and that of what we call a cyber liaison officers. And there's there's different billets that they that they have, but they're what they're trying to do is resource at the sector level a cybersecurity, a broad understanding of cybersecurity risk management in 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 the maritime context. And finally, while it's not vessel focused yet, and you've mentioned this, they've also mandated a lot of regulated facilities in the US performance cybersecurity assessment and amend their facility security plans with annexes. This was, this was in, interestingly enough, this was further clarified just, just this last week with the release of the Maritime Cybersecurity Assessments and Annex Guide. And, and what's important for your listeners to know is that the U.S. Coast Guard is taking cybersecurity really seriously. And, and in my opinion, over the last five, five, six years, really since 2017, they've moved relatively quickly to drive cyber engagement with regulated facilities. And, and to this point, I believe where I see the tea leaves, you know, if I'm looking at the tea leaves here, they are going to eventually pivot more aggressively to focus on the vessels. And the early indicators that we're seeing involve a focus on incident response and recovery capabilities with the ships. And that's where we factor in with our cyber IQ service, which we launched in beta version just this last summer. So hopefully that gives a little perspective on, on where we are and, and how we came to be in, in the context of, of the service offering. Yeah, it does. And, 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 and so it's akin to the, the sort, of, sort of open 90 reg insofar as, you know, a vessel has a response plan, you know, which you know, a regulator can review and audit to ensure it's fit for purpose. You know, a vessel owner would then contract with an OSRO service provider, you know, to provide spill, spill response services. They would have existing contracts with the party that prepared their vessel response plan as a spill coordinator, perhaps, and qualified individual ashore. There's some party to whom you can speak and triangulate the response through the Coast Guard and, and the ship owner and the insurers, et cetera. So, you know, it's not passed me by that QI is a, a sort of reverse of... Yeah, and uh, so, so those familiar with the Open 90 service model will inherently recognize the model for the Cyber IQ service. It, it, it pretty much mirrors it. Responding to and recovering from cyber incidents follows almost exactly the same approach as, as the Open 90 regime, to your point earlier, right? So, for example, instead of a spill management team, we've got our cyber event management team. The challenge with traditional Open 90 providers is really, or has been that in the event of a cyber incident, they're not that much better positioned than a traditional shipping company's IT team or their information security team would be in reacting to a cyber incident. And as such, they'd be faced effectively with the same challenges of quickly finding, let alone engaging available and appropriate cyber resources at a time of what I would call acute need. You know, to this point, right, you don't want to be Googling 
cyber incident response when you're trying to respond to a cyber incident. And those delays will eventually cost the ship owner money. A key point of consideration here is that cybersecurity experts are also in high demand. And it's worth underscoring a key point here for your listeners. When we started our practice eight years ago, there was a global shortage of around 2 million cybersecurity individuals in the market. Today, that situation has actually worsened. Uh, last I saw, I saw something published last year, there's over 3 million jobs out there that have been, uh, that are unfilled. And so in spite of increased awareness, in spite of the IMO's requirements and the new mandate with incorporating cyber into the SMS, and in spite of awareness training efforts, the problem is only worsening for skilled roles and shipping companies need to also understand they're competing against the likes of the financial services sector, the defense industry, even manufacturing and research and development organizations for these, these skills. And so financially, if you have a skill set in cybersecurity, you can go in and work in any industry. And these are the challenges that you're going to be facing with when an incident occurs is, is getting the right blend of resources in, in working with your vessel and you know the, the crew and the officers, officers on board the vessel in the event of, a, of an attack. Yeah, I mean, interesting stats there. I mean, I, I guess that has a number of consequences when we're looking at this as an evolving risk sort of area for the Coast Guard to consider new legislation and, and, and regulation around. I mean, I guess they've got their own staffing concerns within within the government agency themselves about how they would police whatever regulations they were to roll out with appropriately qualified people within That's their organization to make professional assessments. And, and as you say, the second consequence of this dearth of talent or not dearth of talent, but dearth of talent availability within our particular industry sector, because it's spread you know, far and wide amongst other industry sectors where there's always an opportunity cost to who's going to pay, pay the most for that talent. You know, it, it, the question has to, to arise in the minds of the legislator. Well, you know, if I'm, if I'm to put more stringent regulatory requirements out there for ship owners to comply with, is there sufficient, you know, provision ashore by way of responders, qualified individuals, et cetera, to support that legislation, which may sort of retard the evolution of this new regulation around cybersecurity. I don't know if you have a thought on that. No, absolutely. In fact, I know the Coast Guard has looked, well, let me, let's back up for one sec. So the Open 90 regime, for example, has been one of the most successful compliance regimes deployed. So it's been, it, it, there's a lot of success behind it, right? But to your point regarding the awareness, the Coast Guard's awareness about creating an undue burden or burden on the ship owner or industry more broadly regarding financial burden, or even imposing a burden that might be regulatory driven that could perhaps may be not easily met by industry and by those who are regulated could, you know, is, is a valid concern, right? And so we, th those, those gaps in the market in terms of the limited availability of resources is, is something to keep in mind from a regulatory perspective. And I know they're conscientious of that, however, you know, it's the question of whether does, you know, a chicken or the egg, right? Do we, does, does the Coast Guard impose regulations or do they wait for industry to rise to the challenge? Or perhaps is it some balance therein that gets, that, 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 that drives the, 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 
the need forward and the response capabilities forward globally. And, and I don't know the answer directly off the top of my head in, in terms of those specific, you know, is the Coast Guard going to push it first or is industry going to push it first? I see a little bit of both, right? Earlier this year, I was sitting on a Friday afternoon listening into a cybersecurity virtual event, and it was, I forget which one it was, but there were some Coast Guard officers that were speaking, and actually one of them used for the first time, and I've heard the uh, the term cyber open 90 in a public forum. And to me, that is an early indicator of where the Coast Guard, I think, is heading in terms of its thinking. I think if if they start to see the, the markets respond with certain capabilities, then that may trigger additional thinking on the regulatory side in terms of what may or may not come or what it might look like going forward. And, you know, the, the, the one thing I do hear consistently is that they're, 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 they, nobody wants to recreate the wheel. And so the open 90 regime in and of itself, because of the success behind it, because there's an understanding of how the mechanisms function in this maritime environment, I think there's an appetite that is growing to, to mimic something like that, to address the market and perhaps wrap some regulations around it at some point in the future. The, as I mentioned just a little while ago, because of the, the things that have emerged on the regulated facility side in the US, there's a lot now out there the Coast Guard is requiring and providing guidance to. I, again, see a pivot coming to address the cyber risk on the shipping side. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree with you. I mean, and, and clearly you guys seem to be ahead of the curve in terms of, of regulatory slash sort of compliance requirements. So, you know, with that in mind, what is the basis of the value proposition embedded within this cyber IQ service, given that it seems to be ahead of the curve, as it were? Sure, sure. And you know, we all know that in the shipping industry, if, if it's not required by a regulatory regime, there's going to be resistance to implementing certain capabilities. But again, a number of ship lead, the leading ship owners around the world, they're, they're, always, they're also looking at managing risk to the balance sheet. And so right now, our cyber IQ service is not directly compliance-based. It's not meeting a, a mandatory requirement that's been promulgated by the Coast Guard yet. So while there's no regulation currently mandating this, its value proposition is financial risk management. Its purpose, as with most of Hudson Cyber Services, is really designed to help the ship own, protect the ship owner's interests and effectively their balance sheet. Some of the, for example, some of the most impactful work we do uh, with the cyber IQ services involves the vessel specific pre-breach planning, the pre-breach preparation, coordination, and testing with the company's leadership. And, and that that there's a pretty robust onboarding process that we we implement with the clients to get them prepared. And once they're onboarded, then we can be positioned to rapidly triage an incident and then appropriately resource a rapid response anywhere in the US. And, and this ultimately results in reducing potential downtime, reduces potentially scheduling delays, lessens the potential for financial losses, and minimizes potential legal or liability exposures regarding deficiencies or even detentions and captain of the port orders that may be issued regarding matters of operational control. So really what we're, what we're trying to do with the service is, is minimize, you know, shrink that response time 
you know, again, I'm going to use a crude analogy. You don't want to be Googling cyber incident response in the middle of an incident. We basically accelerated that response to where we need to resource it quickly and, and rapidly and effectively and, and, and critically here, most appropriately. One of the things we're also cognizant of in delivering a service like this is that we want to be careful about the types of skill sets that we put in place to support a ship owner, because sometimes you may not necessarily need a forensic anal- analyst or a forensic consultant to come in and do a deeper di- investigative dive on a network, but it might be something a little bit less onerous in terms of putting together certain processes or procedures and making corrective actions that are more sort of procedure-based as opposed to technical. So the appropriate resourcing is key. And by appropriately resourcing it quickly, we can reduce the potential financial impact to the ship owner. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that and see the direction of travel in which you're going with this. And as you say, there is, there is historical perspective here from the the success that have, you know, the regulator has seen from the, the rolling out of, the, the the open 90 provisions post Exxon Valdez and what's that to what that what that has done to improve the environmental security around the US coast US waters and ports so obviously we're coming to the end of our time now so we need to wrap things up but just sort of a quick question as to where you're going to go from here I mean this is obviously a very US centric view and obviously and often the US regulators are ahead of uh, other regulators in terms of putting provision in place to certainly protect their borders, their waters, their ports, etc. So, I mean, does this have wider application or is it is it purely a U.S. offering? So right now, our plans are to position our clients who call on the U.S. to position them to be able to respond and, 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 and react to certain events that occur in U.S. jurisdictions. That, so right now, our plans are for the remainder of this year, really to solidify and consolidate our position in the U.S. market. We have been asked by some whether or not we can provide a broader capability globally. We're taking baby steps. So in terms of growth areas, we do have longer-term goals for expansion into Canada and then the EU. But if market opportunities emerge that carry us into other areas, then we'll certainly consider those. I mean, we'll be opportunistic in, in that capacity. Irrespective of where we go in the near term, I'm very bullish about where we're headed in the next few years. And whatever and whenever the Coast Guard requires a cybersecurity perspective or new regulation, we're ready. We'll probably be already delivering and, and our clients will be well positioned to be able to meet and exceed those requirements when they do when they do arise. But uh, regarding expansion outside the U.S., yes, eventually that is our plan to take it elsewhere. Well, that's great, Max. Thanks very much for speaking with us today and and walking us through the, the Cyber IQ offering that you have, Hudson Analytics. You know, given plenty of food food for thought once again. You know, cyber is, seems to be ever evolving. And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, listen, we 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 look forward to speaking with you again in the future, no doubt. But for the time being. We wish you all the very best of luck with this this new service, well, new valuable service you're applying, providing to the shipowning community. Thank you, Tom. I look forward to our next round and giving you an update next time we chat. And uh, again, thank you and the team at Shoreline for giving me the opportunity to talk to you today.
we'd like to thank the show's sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited. The world and life at sea is changing on a daily basis. Shipping companies and owners are facing evolving threats from political risk to increased maritime cyber risk. Shoreline has the maritime insurance answers you need to make sure your company is covered when crisis strikes. Shoreline are providers of specialist maritime cybercrime and crisis response insurance policies. To learn more about these specialist covers, visit www.shoreline.bm today.